Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, now, every time I walk into this building, especially if I'm going to be introducing a visitor to the church and giving them the tour or something like that, I think about the legacy of previous generations who've been part of Ivy, and of course the legacy of somebody called Oliver Brockbank. <laughs> and um, many of you will know, but I don't assume that everybody does, um, we are here in this building because of the legacy, because of a young Mancunian student by the name of Oliver Brockbank, who was born in 1870. I keep on finding out more about him. Is one of my projects, Oliver Brockbank, because he inspires me. And um, he was born in 1870, I just found out, and he heard the gospel when the evangelist D.L. Moody, world-famous D.L. Moody, visited Cambridge University and that's amazing when you look into D.L. Moody's life because D.L. Moody himself was from um, near Chicago, a rural area, his dad was an alcoholic, his mum was a devout Christian who prayed for him but at 13 they were so poor that he left school and he was semi-literate but here he is speaking at Cambridge University and a revival hit the place. Um, D.L. Moody himself famously heard an evangelist by the name of um, Henry Varley say, the world has yet to see what God will do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And that struck Moody so much that he said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And he just determined that I will live as much as I can, do as much as I can, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And a famous Moody quote, I put a, a quote on my Facebook the other day from Moody, which a few people have liked, but there's another one um, that comes to mind is this. Give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. Give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. And I wonder if maybe that was in one of the sermons at Cambridge University that young Oliver Brockbank heard. Because what we do know is that 130 years ago, he came to Didsbury back here and he led his gardener, Mr. Green, to the Lord. And then the two of them started a Bible study group in, a, in one of the houses which Mr. Brockbank owned. And then it grew and it met in another place down the road. And the next thing we know is that he built and paid for this beautiful building and nobody knows but the Lord, how much it cost him to build it. But again, fairly recently I found out that he, he insisted that it be built according to the principles laid down for building Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. So that, it says in scripture, no hammer, nor axe, nor any tool of iron was heard while it was being built. So he insisted it be built in silence. And that means also that no nails or screws were used in the joinery. It was built to last because he was thinking legacy. And whenever I go over to our other site at uh, Cheadle Hume, I think we've got a picture of uh, the Brockbank Centre over there, um, I'm always aware there of the legacy that Mr Brockbank left, because before he died, 
he thought ahead and he left a substantial sum of money in trust which 70 years later we were able to put into the building of that amazing project. So Oliver Brockbank, he didn't just think about himself, he didn't just think about his own salvation, he thought about the gospel, he thought about Didsbury, he thought about Manchester, he invested for future generations so that we are able to do what we are able to do now because of what he did then. And of course, it's great to have named that place in his honour. Give your life to God, for he can do so much more with it than you can. Brockbank's conversion and salvation didn't just affect him. He didn't limit God. And so God has done unlimited work through him. Oliver Brockbank loved the Lord so much that it affected him but it also he wanted it to affect and connect to everybody else that he knew so he started with his family it seems that he, he led his sister to the Lord he put her in the house next door where I now live and he reached out to his neighbours very generously we've got st stuff upstairs that shows how he would take poor people from the area on holidays to Blackpool and through generosity he showed them the love of Jesus Christ and uh, you know men women and children and he wrote this book, which I've got a copy of. It's a very rare book. And in it, he details, uh, I think we've got a picture of it there. He details his, this is the diary of a journey through the Sinai Peninsula and Arabia in 1914. Reading this book, if you do lend it off me, I will take your name and follow you. <laughs> it's like uh, Around the World in 80 Days. It starts off March 1914, I left Charing Cross. He takes the Orient Express to Suez and Egypt via St. Catherine's Monastery. 1914, scary times. But he's thinking about reaching more people for Jesus. So he goes and lives with the Bedouins, like T.E. Lawrence, like Lawrence of Arabia. In fact, he follows the same route that Lawrence of Arabia took just a month before as he spent over a month under canvas in the desert as he covered 400 miles on camel, 700 miles on horseback before finally arriving at Jerusalem. Give your life to God. He can do so much more with it than you can. Oliver Brockbank modelled in his life what he encouraged those who worked to build this place when he gave them all a Bible. This is one of them. He gave to each person who worked on this building a Bible at the end. That's his signature. And he told them, build for eternity. You can look at that later if you want to. I've also got an old minute book from when we first started off as well downstairs. You've got to look after these things because it's important to honour the past. We don't want to live in the past, but we honour the past and it gives us a sense of, well, what was it like to be a Christian back then? You know, they were still living through scary times. They still had to do the best that they could with what they had. And build for eternity makes me think so much about our year of rebuilding. Because over the years, the church will have been kind of built and rebuilt in different ways so many times anyway. But really what I also want to think about is about legacy. And do you think about the legacy that you'll leave? Do you think about the legacy that was left for you? Who was it who faithfully prayed for you? Who was it who witnessed to you? Who was it who shared the gospel with you? Who was it who, who gave you a word of encouragement and built you up in the faith? 
And what, what will we pass on to other people? What do you think your legacy will be for the investment that Jesus made in you? How will it happen? I've got to say, it usually doesn't happen by accident, leaving a legacy. It wasn't accidental, these ways in which Mr. Brockbank left a legacy. Legacy is defined in the dictionary as something you received after somebody dies or something from your history that remains influential today. Whether or not they died, something lives on. A positive impact for the enduring good of others. Of course, we can leave a negative legacy too, and none of us want that. But think about that boy following the crowd, and the crowd gets bigger and bigger, and everybody's following this man called Jesus, who's supposed to be a miracle worker, but now they're miles away from anywhere, and everybody starts to moan and groan, because their tummies are doing, and they're saying that they're starving. And being small, he could push through the crowds, and he was small enough that he sat down near to hear Jesus' disciples as they are telling him, There's a great big problem and they haven't got the resources to be able to meet it. Now we have opportunities with what we've got to build a great legacy. God has placed so much potential here but it doesn't just happen. So my question tonight as we continue rebuilding and as we move into Ivy's year of blessing, will we leave a legacy of blessing or do I think blessing's all about me? On your, uh, somewhere, they, these are, these already been given out or are we giving them out? If these could be given out like now as I'm talking, that would be great. Because we're going to pray for these. I'm going to pray this in a moment. Uh, these are 2022 year of blessing. Something to stick in a book or your Bible. And this is a verse that really grabbed me from Paul. He said, Romans 15, 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Imagine being able to say that. Paul's like, look, I know when I come, I'm bringing a blessing. The full measure of the blessing of Christ. He's, he's, he's doing that. And then... We've got something here as a declaration to pray because if we started to believe this was true, imagine what can happen when you know I have been blessed, I am blessed, I will be blessed, I will be a blessing. We'll say that together soon and declare it if we can because will we be a blessing? Will we leave a legacy that's a blessing? Not just when we die, when we've got no choice, but now, while we do have opportunity. As people who've been saved by grace through faith, how big will that faith be and how far will that circle of blessing extend? And how many generations are we thinking about? I'm glad you are. I'm not sure we all are. The patriarchs in the Bible who lived in those places that Mr. Brockbank travelled through were very intentional about blessings and legacies but it only really happened when they looked beyond themselves and their own lives to legacy and saw that God works and thinks generationally Jacob been reading about him recently in my bible reading starts out as somebody who desperately wants God's blessing no matter what he like will trick people to get it he'll do anything that he can to get the blessing because he recognizes it his granddad had it his dad had it I want it I'll steal it he steals it his, his birthright and then he steals his brother Esau's blessing has to go on, a resu- on, a, on the run as a result of it and when he's praying he says to God if you will bless me then you can be my God it's just transactional for him you can be my God as long as you're blessing me that's it and he was blessed and he became really wealthy and he had a great big family and it was all going really well but then God stripped him of it all in a day and that can happen 
if we just rely on the blessings, they can go. And it was all taken away and he was left alone, it says. And then God came to wrestle with him all night. Jacob is just like squealing while they're fighting. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's all he still wants. I just want, bless me, bless me, bless me. The rabbis say that he was still just trying to control the outcome. But when he finally submits, God says, I will bless you, but not as Jacob anymore. The slippery guy is all about himself. I will bless you now as Israel. You're thinking way too small for me to be able to bless you the way that I want to bless you. It's bigger than you. My thoughts are higher. My ways are higher. When I bless you, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, three generations at once. And when I bless you, I'm thinking about nations. I'm thinking about generations. I see Joseph saving Israel. I see my son saving the universe. I know the beginning from the end. And you've got to start thinking bigger to leave the legacy that I've got for you and not limit me. The Lord says, I limited myself to wrestle with you when I could have snapped my fingers and you'd be nothing. You get stronger when you wrestle me, but you only get power when you submit to me. You get to do what I say you can when you become who I say you are. And now I'll bless you as Israel which, of course, becomes the nation that blesses the whole world. Give your life to God, for he can do so much more with it. Track Jacob's life from then on. Israel and all his sons grow up, and one goes, and he, he, he loses Je Joseph, gets him back. But only at the end of his life, you have these incredible chapters where he's blessing his sons, even his grandkids on his deathbed to bless them. He speaks that blessing. He's a very, very old man by now. It's the last thing that he does is that he starts to bless others. I don't want it to be the last thing I do. What a waste. I want to live and love and laugh and leave a legacy of blessing now. I, now is when we get the chance to be able to do that. I already regret so many ways that I've missed out on doing that. So many times that I've held back and thought, play it safe, don't do it. That little boy was close enough to the disciples to be able to hear about everybody needing feeding. And maybe they should send them away. And he thought to himself, well, thank God for my mum. Because she put these two little fish and these five small rolls of bread here. I could just eat them and stay. And everybody else has to go. But hang on, what would happen? What would happen if I give them to him? Imagine. Do you think he had regrets about giving it to Jesus? In 2008, a study, a psychologist asked people about negative emotions like anger and anxiety and boredom, disappointment, fear, guilt, jealousy and sadness and regret. The one they experienced the most... I don't want to wait till the end of my life, like Jacob did on his deathbed, to start to think about, well, to think beyond how God can bless me. I don't want too many if onlys. If only I had, if only I hadn't. Regrets that my God was too small to use me big time. 
George Bernard Shaw wrote in a splendid torch, this is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognised by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community and as long as I live it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I've got hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. That's the way to live, guys. That splendid torch wasn't lit by Oliver Brockbank. It was passed on to him by D.L. Moody, who had it passed on to him by his Sunday school teacher, Mr. Edward Kimball, who got it from Jesus somehow. But Oliver carried the flame in his generation really well so that we continue to benefit. Now, here in the West, and in the UK in particular, perhaps, The question arises, I think more than any other time so far in my life, whether the light of the gospel that we've been handed on, that splendid torch that we're to shine before people, might be in danger of going out. The historic value of the church in society, the idea that this would be a Christian nation, that the word of God is truth and has a hearing, that flame I think is burning down in society, in churches and yes in believers because that's how it happens. Anybody who doesn't see that most denominations are on a precipice is either willfully blind or just not paying attention. It can happen. Jesus wrote to seven churches in Revelation and he warned five of them that their gospel was powerless, their lifestyles were the same as those around them in the world. Despite their pride, they compromised on doctrine and practice. They were lukewarm. They'd lost their first love. He said, you're going to lose your light unless you repent. We must not lose our lampstand here at Ivy. What will be the legacy of this church generations from now? You know, it's good to think year by year, but what about generations ahead? Those that will build a legacy are the people who will today do some things with boldness and courage and faith that will love and serve the community together creatively rather than shrink back. We're in uncertain times. But we can be sure of the love of God and we can count on that. So we need to be courageous. We need to take courageous, uncomfortable actions at times. This year, I'm sure we'll have to do that. Whoever we are, whatever stage or stage, age or stage we're at, there's times you have to wrestle with God. Maybe we've been through some of those times in recent years, but I don't think the wrestling's done because it's only on the other side of that fight that you come out stronger and up close with him is where you receive the blessings that change the world it starts then with something small it starts with the love of God affecting me and it starts with something as small as a mustard seed it starts with somebody who's just got a couple of loaves a couple of fish and it grows when we let go of that and we give it to Jesus. Jesus saw the crowd. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knows. I don't know what's going to happen this year. Jesus knows. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. 
So they made him treasurer. <laughs> then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. How do we think he found that out? He must have shown them. That's all I've got. I haven't got much. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterwards he did the same with the fish. The men alone numbered about 5,000, but they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everybody was full, Jesus said to his disciples, now gather up the leftovers so nothing is wasted. And so they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who'd eaten from the five barley loaves. We all know the story. But every day, this year, we're going to be asked, do we believe it? What can we do with the church tonight so that Ivy's torch burns brighter in the future than it has done in the past and we get to be part of leaving a legacy that's a blessing? Here's what we do with the church. Give it to Jesus because he can do so much more with it. What do we do with everything that he gives us? Give it to him. What do we do with ourselves as we pray now? Let's give ourselves to Jesus. Again. Lord, we want to give ourselves back to you. We're not much. What would it look like for you and me this year to just give ourselves a bit more to him? I'm not sure I can do the D.L. Moody thing and say I'm going to be the person that lives full on for you. I've said it before, Lord, and then I've not really done it. But I do want more and more to give more and more of me to you. And I'll trust you, Lord, to do what only you can do.